Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another action-packed, body-slamming episode of 80s Wrestling Radio. This is Tommy Fierro from 80s Wrestling, along with my main man, Matt, from Squared Circle Classics. Matt, what's going on, man? Tommy, hey, man, I'm good. What's going on? Not much. Uh, exciting topic tonight that we're going to be talking about, and uh, I know it should be a popular one amongst our listeners. It is the history of of the Intercontinental title in the 80s. And uh, what a coveted title that was back in the day. We're going to be taking your telephone calls live tonight on the show. And uh, give us a call and let us know your thoughts on some of your greatest memories and moments of the 80s Intercontinental title. The call number is area code 323-927-2953. Again, once again, that's area code 323 323- Nine two seven two nine five three. We're going to be talking about the history of the WWF Intercontinental Title in the eighties. And Matt, we we got to kick it off with something that started in late seventy nine that made this all possible, and that's the first ever Intercontinental Champion and how it all came about. Matt, let's talk a little bit about Pat Patterson. Good old Pat Patterson. Yeah, man. I mean, probably one of the the biggest icons uh, in wrestling, especially if you think about what his total impact has been on uh, the, the WWF, WWE product. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he, uh, it, was, it was kind of interesting. It was at a time obviously when, when Vince Jr. was um, taking a bigger stake in things um, and, you know, they introduced that, uh, that, that championship through a fictional tournament that, um <laughs> That uh, that Pat Patterson was said to have won down in uh, down in Rio de Janeiro, and he had already won the the World Wrestling Federation North American Championship. They had that that was kind of their number two t- title behind uh, the WWF champion um, that uh, was Bob Backlund at the time. And uh, Patterson had defeated Ted DiBiase, a real young Ted DiBiase, I think in 1979 to get the the North American title. And then, uh, and then they came up with that idea for him to uh, to to win like a 15 or 20 man tournament down in Rio de Janeiro and uh, and come back as uh, the the North already having the North American title and now uh, winning this down in this in South America and merging these two titles to call it the Intercontinental Championship. And I just actually posted uh, to make an announcement for the show here about oh like about less than an hour ago, and I've got the clip. Um, I've got Pat Patterson's first clip um, on TV being interviewed by uh, Vince McMahon and he's got the grand wizard as his manager. Um, and Vince is asking him, what is this intercontinental championship? And, uh, and so he gives like the spiel exactly, you know, what I just kind of laid down about this tournament. And so that was kind of the introduction of it in September of uh, 1979. I don't know if you know the answer to this. I, I don't. Do you know how many times he actually defended the intercontinental title? Because I don't even have it for very long. 
And doing some research prior to tonight's episode, uh, I'm sure that you remember as well the old WWF Coliseum video. They had a, a history of the WWF Intercontinental Title video from Coliseum Video. He's actually on that video defending the title against Dominic Benucci, which I, I, I just thought was like a rare you know, title defense for him. Do you know how many times he actually defended the title? He didn't have it very long. No, nah, he, he had it for, um, I think, he, I, I want to say he had it for about a, not quite a year. I think he had it for about nine months before he lost it to, to Ken Patera. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I'm not quite sure how many times he defended it. But looking at that title, that title actually was really, uh, was really cool. I mean, before we got to, like, the classic one, which we'll get to, you know, obviously that was introduced into the mid-'80s, um, the, the very first one, had like a really, really interesting look to it. I think it had like, kind of like a little bit of red, white, and blue on the strap, and um, the the uh, the gold on it, around it was was definitely kind of unique. But it had a very simplistic plaque at the very top. If you it, there's some there's some pictures I've seen of it uh, close up, and it's just got like a little, almost like a bowling trophy that you would have seen back in the 70s or 80s. It's just like a little bronze plaque that just says Intercontinental Champion. Um, you know, engraved on it, but like the rest of the belt's got some cool pieces to it. Nice. We have our first uh, caller of the night, actually, Barry from uh, DC. Welcome to 80s Wrestling Radio with Tommy and Matt talking about the WWF Intercontinental Title. What's going on? How are you? Hey, what's going on, gentlemen? Um, new new listener from DC. Um, I actually listened to the last week's episode this afternoon. And then oh, awesome. um, tonight's episode caught my attention. So cool. Thanks, man. Then, right. you know, Thank you for listening. What was that? Oh, just saying thanks for checking that out. Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, it was great. So, um, you know, I just wanted to listen in, um, hear about the IC title, which we all love. Um, you know, it, it, it's not it, – it didn't get quite the spotlight the heavyweight championship had. Um, but, you know, it was still cool to see, you know, guys, um, you know, like the Savages, you know, Randy Savage, um, Tito Santana, Ricky Steamboat, and all of them, you know, go go at it for the strap and, you know, carry it and bring a lot of attention to it. Even, you know, eventually down the stretch, Ultimate Warrior, Rick Rude, um, Mr. Perfect. So, you know, it's just, it's just good to, like, care about this. So I'm really looking forward to this episode, guys. Cool, man. Yeah, no, thanks. I think, you know, this, this decade of the 80s was really obviously not only the birth of the championship, but also, you know, really what made it become like a prestigious championship. I mean, it was the number two championship, um, you know, in, in the company, you know, up until probably yeah. what the Ruthless Aggression era and the brand split. And, you know, it's it's technically the uh, the second longest tenured championship, too. I mean, it's 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 counted as the third because of the United States Championship, which goes back into the NWA back into the uh, the 70s. And obviously, once WWE purchased all of that, they uh, they then recognized that title. But you know, you take that out of the mix, um, the IC belt is yeah. really kind of the the second oldest belt. And you know, the 80s is really what established um, you know that and and built some of the biggest stars ever. And you know, obviously looked at as uh, especially as it went on into the into the late eighties um, and into the nineties, yeah. that was the stepping yeah. stone to get to the, to, to get to the WWF championship. So 
Um, yeah, man. I mean, it's a it's a really cool title with a with a really awesome history behind it. Do you uh, do you have a favorite memory, like a like a favorite champion or like? Um. What? Well, the the so the version that they rolled out, I think Tito Santana held it for a little bit. Um, but the IC belt that we all know it to look like. Um, um, yeah, it was a version that Tito Santana had, and I think he had lost it to Randy Savage. Yep. Yeah, so that so that model of the belt, um, you know, that was like when I started watching wrestling. And I just remember WrestleMania three, um, you know, Randy Savage and, and um Ricky Steamboat in that epic battle. Um and then, you know, Ricky Steamboat just winning the title and George Animal still uh presented to him in the ring and just after that crazy epic match. Like that's probably one of my favorite um Memories of it, and then yeah. of course, um, of course, Ultimate Warrior winning it in a matter of seconds from Honky Tonk Man. Um, <laughs> I think at SummerSlam '88. So, yeah, yeah, man, that's that's the, that's that's some good stuff right there, and and obviously, you know, um, as as we get into the show, I'm sure we'll definitely spend some time talking Savage Steamboat. Uh, you mean that that match? personally for me probably ranks definitely top five matches um, of all time, just, uh, yeah. just its overall significance and what it did, I think to really lift, um, lift the, the overall um, quality and what became kind of like the gold standard for what was expected of just a knockdown, like, like what you call like almost like a perfect wrestling match. That was the match yeah. to me that kind of wrote the blueprint for where we would see uh you know, really great wrestling matches go from that point forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Barry, thank you so much for calling in there. We appreciate it. And please continue calling hey, in the future. live every guys. Monday night. Yeah, Barry. Thanks, Thanks man. man. I'll be checking you guys out. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, man. Hey, Matt, I want to I want to get into that real quick because obviously the, the majority of people that are going to call in are going to be talking about, you know, Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Ricky Steamboat from WrestleMania three and they definitely should. I mean, that match was, like you just said, probably one of the top five, in my opinion, as well, of all time. But the the the, the work behind the Intercontinental title came before that. I think Tito Santana, Greg Valentine, and Randy Savage, before Ricky Steamboat, they don't get really the credit they deserve for really, really, really elevating the Intercontinental title. First, you know, uh, Tito won it from Don Morocco. Uh, in 1984, and then lost at the Valentine. Uh, Tito won it in, in February of 84. He lost at the Valentine in September of 84. And then Tito won it back again uh, from Valentine in uh, July of 85. And actually, one of the best intercontinental title matches of all time. It was a steel cage match mm-hmm. uh, in Baltimore, which was awesome. And then after that, Savage won it from Tito on a house show in Boston in February of 86. That stretch right there for me is what really, in my opinion, put the Intercontinental title on the map. Yeah, I completely, completely agree with that. And we can't forget, too, Pedro Morales, because Pedro Morales, um, to me, is flies under the radar when talked about with this championship because to this day, he's still the longest uh, – he has the longest total number of days with the title held. I believe it's like 619 days. He had two reigns. So he beat um, 
he beat Ken Patera for the belt, and then he dropped it to Morocco. Um, and him and Morocco had some amazing feuds. And then Valentine got in the picture, and uh, Pedro Morales beat Valentine several times for, uh, you know, during um, Valentine challenging for it to the point where Valentine left the company and went back into uh, the NWA before coming back again in 84. Uh, but Pedro Morales, um, not only does he have the longest overall total reign, but he um, he was also the the first what we call the Triple Crown winner because he won the he'd won the uh, when it was the WWF he won that belt in the 70s and he was also a tag team champion. So when he won the Intercontinental belt, you know that was that put him on the map for being the first Triple Crown winner, um, and then having it for the total number of days. You know, and you go back and you look at some of the guys he feuded with, you know, he was responsible for being one of the main guys that helped elevate the Magnificent Moroccos and the Greg Valentines to get to that point where, you know, where Vince was taking the company, you know, on that national big scale. Um, You know, he brought a lot of that prestige to it because, like, by the time I really became a fan, like, Pedro Morales was a little bit before my time, but I went back and watched some of his stuff because I remember Pedro Morales as being more of, like, a mid-carter. You'd see him, you know, uh, oftentimes tagging with, like, a Tito or he'd be in, like, a lot of mid-card stuff. And um, But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he he definitely deserves to, to have a little spotlight put on his career and what he did for that for that title and still, like I said, to this day, Still ranking like at the top of having the belt for the for the most number. I know the Miz. I think he's had it eight times, and he's like right on the heels. But uh, but Pedro only held it twice, and he held it for over six hundred days, which is pretty crazy in that early eighties time period. Absolutely. Hey man, you know what I'm saying. We're gonna get to our next call in just one second, but real quickly, I wanted to say, I feel like sometimes you're in my head because I was just about to say this, and this happened a couple times last week's episode as well. I feel like you're in my head because I was just about to say the same thing. I started watching wrestling in late 85. So by the time I started watching, like what you just said, Pedro Morales would be one of the first couple matches on on the house shows. He'd wrestle like, you know, Iron Mike Sharp or like you said, he'd be in a tag team with someone. So you you really, if you just started watching at that time period, you really didn't know how awesome he was as far as bringing, uh, you know, his history in, into the WWE, I mean, WWF. I mean, he was a big star. And you started watching uh, after the boom period of WrestleMania one, you didn't know how much he contributed to the, to the product. So yeah, definitely. If you go back and watch stuff in the early eighties, he's absolutely uh, a huge contributor to not only the Intercontinental title, but to the WWF as well. Uh, we have our next caller on the phone, Matt, and this is a good one, a regular weekly caller, another Matt, but this one has golden voice. Matt, welcome to the 80s Wrestling Radio. It's 80s Wrestling. How, How are you doing? Doing? How are we doing this evening, gentlemen? Doing great, Matt. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Um, with regard to the topic of the Intercontinental Champions, and especially as far as 80s wrestling goes, first one that comes to mind, probably my favorite match, believe it or not. And I think it's mostly because, you know, I am from New York. The energy at Madison Square Garden, the, t- the time the Warrior took the belt from the Hockey Talk Man, who is probably – Hockey Talk Man is probably my favorite Intercontinental Champion of the 80s. He was a fighting champion, held it for over a year. And just that whole stretch from when Savage took it from Santana to the last title change of the 80s, where Warrior ended up beating Rick Root at that SummerSlam, you had a lot of really great title changes, especially on the pay-per-views. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I, it's kind of funny you said, I mean, I, you might be the first person I've ever heard say that Honky was your favorite 80s uh, Intercontinental Champion, so, uh, you know, awesome, score one for uh, for the Honky Tonk Man on that, on that one. <laughs> hey, you know what, uh, between I, 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 hey, Matt, I agree with you, I, I, he wasn't my favorite, but he, he was a huge, huge factor in um, in getting over the ultimate word to the next level because Honky Tonk Man held that title the longest for one reign at 454 days and so much still heat on him that by the time Ultimate Warrior challenged him for the Intercontinental title at, at uh, SummerSlam and he beat him in 30 seconds I mean that really 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 brought the Ultimate Warrior to the next level so I think the Honky Tonk Man and I want to get both your opinions on this I think Honky Tonk Man deserves a lot of credit for uh, getting the ultimate word to the next level. What do you guys think? I completely agree, 100%. He was the opponent. He was the guy everybody wanted to see finally get beaten, at least by someone. And it was the warrior. It wasn't Brutus as it was originally advertised. They wrote Brutus out with the uh, the injury. Yeah, I mean, I, I my take on on Honky Tonk Man is, and I, you know, I I get the reign for being as long as it is because he was such a great heat generator. Um, you know, people always just wanted to see him lose, and you know, you can always get a good storyline going. I think when you've got a a really hot heel that that can get that heat, and you know, you've got your faces uh, trying to challenge. I think like that automatically builds for like a a good draw. Um, and um, and yeah, obviously that 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 squash match at Russell or at, at SummerSlam '88 was just I think just a lot of uh, it was <laughs> for a lot of fans that wanted to see Honky lose. I think it was awesome to see him lose in such spectacular, quick fashion. Um, and you know, at that point too, Ultimate Warrior, you know, he was he was like they were ready to strap the rocket ship to him. You know, I mean, he was really hot and like. Um, you know, the the company, I think, had really been looking for a, a solid number two and, and, and almost kind of like a eventual replacement for Hogan as the top face. And, you know, you had Beefcake there for a while. Uh, but, you know, Beefcake, I felt like, always kind of had a ceiling on, you know, how far he'd really be able to, to carry. Like, I never could really see him being a champion. Um, he was just more, I thought, of like a, a, a solid you know, number three face that was super over with the fans because of the gimmick and the outfits and, you know, kind of acting kind of nutty and crazy. But to be a champion, I think it takes a a different level of of charisma and connection to the audience. And obviously, Warrior was so unique and obviously had the build that that Vince loved. So, you know, his his star was really rising and and, and it was just like a perfect situation, you know, where the situation was ripe for him to come in and, and just absolutely <laughs> blow uh, blow Honky up in what, like 25, 27 seconds, something like that. Yeah, man. That was definitely that was definitely one of the highlights of, of the NFL title in the 80s, no question about it. Hey, uh, Matt, thank you so much for calling in as always, man, and uh, we look forward to hearing back from you next week and every week, man. We need to listen to your calls. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, gentlemen. Have a good evening. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Matt. You as well. Thanks for calling in again. Thank you, man. I got to hand it to Matt. He uh, he's been a loyal loyal listener and loyal caller of the show. So, kudos to uh, to Matt. He's always got like really great takes and insight uh, 
um, you know, on, on stuff from the 80s. And, you know, actually, I should probably say, and, and again, uh, let's give the, the call line for people who might be listening. If you want to call in and, and talk about uh, the 80s uh, Intercontinental Championship, give us a call. The number is 323-927-2953. Um, we're on here for a while, so uh, so call in. Um, like I said, I, I post on Instagram. I said, you know, this is a great opportunity where obviously we, we post daily on stuff and, you know, I, and on my page, I try to, to, to kind of oftentimes create like an interactive um, topic, sometimes get people talking. So like, this is a great way to kind of bring some of those conversations to life. So if you're out there and, you know, you follow us on, uh, on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and you want to, you know, instead of just throwing a comment out there, you want to chat about it, let's chat about it. And we can, um, you know, if you follow us, Tell us who you are, and you know we could. We'll just we'll, we'll give you a shout out. You know we want to we want to engage um, our social media followers to to definitely call in. So let us know if you are a follower and and who you are and your page, and and we'll uh, we'll uh, hit you up. There's nothing more I enjoy more than talking to an educator wrestling fan, especially from the '80s, man. Hey, real quickly before we continue this conversation, I wanna I wanna touch upon Brutus Beefcake because you just brought him up. I think, because I wrote down a handful of guys that never had the Intercontinental title in the 80s that I, I felt should have had it. And I actually had Beefcake on that list. Uh, I think that he was slated. for. I'm pretty sure he was slated for that title against Honky Tonk Man. I think what yeah. happened was Warrior's popularity took off, and he just Warrior just passed him on the card going into the one of the bigger pay-per-views of the year, and I think they just made a, a, a change on it. I was actually watching something earlier with Beefcake where uh, he it was a shoot interview he did, and he said that, you know, the storyline purpose of the city was injured and they replaced him with Warrior. Or something happened where uh, the State Athletic Commission said he couldn't wrestle or something like that. I forgot exactly what it was, but I think that he was actually scheduled to win that Intercontinental title from Honky at SummerSlam. And I think it's a situation where Warrior probably just got hot really quickly and just, you know, they made a change. But uh, I, I think that Brutus was so over at that point that I think that he would have been fine holding that title. But uh, Warrior, like, Warrior passed him as far as popularity goes, I think. Yeah, you know, I, and I'm kind of with you because I'm a little fuzzy on that too. Um, I'm not quite, you know, I, I thought that there was actually maybe some legitimacy to him being injured. Um, and that was one reason why, he uh, they they uh, they took him out of that spot and put Warrior there. But I, you know, if that was total, you know, like a kayfabe situation, then um, I think you know you you kind of hit the nail on the head. It does go back to Warrior just exploding in popularity. Um, you know, and I, I think you know if you looked at Warrior and what he was doing with how you know his look, his promos. Um, you know the the energy I think he brought to the to the everything just running out to the ring and the ropes. I mean Vince had to just be seeing that everywhere how people and the kids were eating that up. And you know if you think about it just from a sheer marketing perspective and merchandise perspective, you know how far you know how much more money can you make with Warrior based uh, you know like merchandise um, and marketing opportunities than uh than brutus but i mean and that's nothing to take away from beefcake at the time too because obviously he was super over as well but you know at that point you'd already had the barber gimmick going for for a year um and you know that that gimmick was always gonna probably have a bit of a, a shelf life but i mean it was obviously hot for for a while but but warrior just brought 
something a little different, I think, to uh, to the table. Even though, I mean, you know, neither Brutus nor nor Warrior would be considered great technical wrestlers by any means. But Warrior's overall, he, I mean, he kind of had a little bit of the Hogan factor. You know, his his promos, you, you would hang on every word, even though it was just like oftentimes just batshit crazy. Um, but you know, it's it, he and he had the physique, and we all know Vince loved the guys that that had that that chiseled look. So. Um, yeah, there's probably a lot to, to be said for just Warrior. Warriors just was just going to get moved up and get that push. Yeah, man, I, I agree with you 100%. And uh, we actually have another caller on the uh, line. Uh, Greg, welcome to 80s Wrestling Radio. What's going on, man? You're on with Tommy and Matt. Hey, guys, how you doing? I was just telling you I'm in Kansas City right now, originally from New York. Hey, cool. the hometown hey, of handsome Harley Race. Harley Race, definitely. Actually, it's funny, too, because I actually met him in New Jersey about, I would say, about five months before I moved out here. Nice. 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 What's your uh, favorite memory and moment of the 80s WWF Intercontinental title? Well, in the 80s, it would have to be Ravishing Rick Rude and the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania Five, and how they booked that, and definitely how they put Bobby Heenan in with that genius move of hooking the leg under the rope. Because if you look at it at that time, the Ultimate Warrior is one of these guys that was so over the top that you couldn't think Rude could beat him, but the way they were able to do it, and just that little you know, sneakiness really snuck it in and got the title on him legitimately where you could believe it. Yeah, I mean, how epic is WrestleMania Five, right? You got obviously the Mega Powers explosion uh, coming to a head, and and Hogan winning the belt back, and then having Rude beat Warrior uh, at that was just, I mean, that those two matches are iconic. And like you said, the finish with, you know, obviously Bobby Britt coming in and and uh, and doing the um, the cheat job with with holding <laughs> Warrior's leg down. I mean, that's that's all such great stuff, and. You know, I'm I'm a huge uh, rude mark. I mean, I'm probably he's probably like easily top top four or five favorite all time uh, wrestlers for me. And and it was it was great to see him get his turn um, there with that because you know he was in the company for uh, just under two years. I think he came in and I want to say in July of '87, and so he had to go all the way until what April of '89 uh, before he won. Uh, a belt and for a guy of his prestige because you know he came in highly decorated I mean, he was he was one of the hottest things going um when they brought him in in 87 i mean he was he was just fresh off of the nwa world tag team championship with manny fernandez and in a short run in the nwa but before that you know he was in world-class championship wrestling and was the the kind of that promotion's first recognized champion um you know and he Rude had really not only and he had the look and he had the charisma, but I mean he had he walked into the WWF already like a, a pretty significant um, resume and in hand, and you know he had to sit and wait patiently for nearly two years before he got a taste of uh, getting gold in in the WWF, and so for me it was awesome to to see him uh, to to get to that point and. And obviously, I mean, man, I I'd all, I would have loved eventually to see him, um, you know, get to the wing beagle, but uh, but yeah, that's that was such a that was such a great feud because I mean those two guys were so um, you know they they both had great physiques and they were both extremely intense, um, and uh, I just thought like that was such a almost just a consummate face versus heel rivalry 
not only in just their, their personas, but just in their overall look as well. So, uh, so that's a great one, man. I'll, I'm, I, anything Rick Rude, man, I'm hooked. No, I definitely agree with you. I think the main, I, I, I'm, you go ahead. No, I was going to say the main, the main thing to learn from that is too, I was born in 1982. So I'm a little bit younger than you guys, but old enough to remember that era. Uh, that being said, I just remember how much as a kid, how much I hated Rick Rude and how disturbing it was with the Rude Awakening where you bring the woman to the room. And they'd, I would always think, why would they fall for them? He's the heel. And the other thing, too, I found funny. One of my best friends, uh, grew up in, he grew up in Mount Vernon, New York. And, you know, there was a video store there, and all the wrestlers used to go in. And when he met Rick Rude as a kid, Rick Rude was the nicest one of them all, and he just couldn't understand it because the guy was a heel. And, um, no, it was, pre- it was absolutely pretty amazing. Uh, I do have one more, too, though, but it's early 90s, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Go for it. Yeah, I think, and this is my favorite match of all time. It's Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam 1991. And the reason mm-hmm. I say that is for two reasons. Num- number one, uh, Mr. Perfect was probably the greatest intercontinental champion. I know we say the hockey talk man is the gimmick, but I remember how much I didn't like him as a kid and all that and stuff. And, you know, he was trading the belt with the Texas Tornado. They gave it back. But the reason this is my favorite match is because it concentrates on wrestling. It's my favorite match ever because if you look at it, Bret Hart, just out of the Hart Foundation, he drops the belts to the Nasty Boys, the tag belts at WrestleMania 7. At that point, he's this young, hungry up-and-comer. And that is just a match in Madison Square Garden. I mean, my father used to take me to see the New York Rangers all the time, so I was very familiar with the Garden. And at that point, you know, you have the champion trying his hardest to hold the belt and this up-and-comer trying to take it away from him. And, you know, we really didn't know who Stu Hart was at that point, at least as far as WWF mainstream TV. And just watching the hitman go to his family at the end, that was a really a moment right there. Definitely, I loved it. That's about as perfect as hey. a take as I think you could get, man. Greg, that oh, was yeah. epic, man. And I couldn't agree more. That match, I mean, those two guys are, you know, Brett was, was just coming into to the peak of his powers. And, um, man, and those guys obviously have a long-running history of going back with, with knowing each other and families and growing up, too. So, um, yeah, absolutely great, great moment. And for sure, you know, perfect being able to, to do that job for, for Brett at that moment in time was, uh, was, was pretty awesome. And that's great, a great well, thank moment. You so much. Greg, that, yeah. Greg, that was a great call. We, uh, we enjoyed listening to you, man. Definitely call back next week. We're live every Monday night, 11 PM Eastern time. Uh, we enjoyed that, man. Definitely call back and talk to us again. Yeah, definitely. I discovered you guys when you did the Hulkamania episode, um, WCW 1998 on Twitter. Make a lot of jokes, talk about WCW, comment on Raw. Um, really love the podcast, though, because you guys are about my age, and I think a lot of it, too, is, you know, as we get older and everything, it's a lot just to hold on to. But it's not only that. You look at how the business has changed and how much, you know, every Monday night or just listening to this, you could always just, you know, go back to your childhood. You know, we all got responsibilities and everything, but it's really cool, and I'm glad you guys uh, are doing this. And I'll try to call back again. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks, Greg. Awesome. And have a great Thank day, man. You. Great call. Great call. Hey, wow. we have another call coming up, uh, Matt. We have uh, Dominic on hold. Dominic, welcome to 80s Wrestling Radio with Tommy and Matt. We're talking 80s WWF Intercontinental title. What's going on, man? Hey, what's going on, man? How you guys doing? Good. How are Good, you? Good, Dominic. How you doing, man? Good. Uh, that call stole a little bit of my thunder because he touched on two things, the WrestleMania 5 <laughs> and then uh, Brett and Perfect. So, um, That's all right. Where, where are you calling from? Uh, I'm calling from Boston. I'm right off. I'm right off. Oh, okay. So uh, one match that I remember was Brett versus Piper. That was the one that did it for me. That was a big match for me like for the IC belt. Yeah, I mean that was another great one. And you know, again, uh, 
Brett and and uh, Piper go way way back, uh, you know, with um, with with Piper training with with uh, Stu, and so I think you know Piper's obviously his senior, but you know, kind of like a big brother to to Brett. I think probably through the industry over the years, and um, you know, I love some of the promos. In fact, the, I, I can't was it the pre match promo uh, where like they were like backstage with Mean Gene and they were just kind of facing up and going toe to toe and like. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, just great yeah, stuff. I and wasn't expecting that match to be any good because Piper, he wasn't known to be a great worker, and he's in there with Brett, and obviously Brett can work with anybody. But that match, that match went off. So, it I did. Know, it I did. I, and I loved, I loved how Brett, he where, where Roddy had the bell towards the end, and he was thinking about like, you and know, because thinking he, about he, it, he made right. that big face turn. Yes. Yeah, whether or not Absolutely. he should or not, and like you know, he knew if he did that, like that was gonna cement like a total heel turn, and like he knew like like that moment of conscience came over him, and like and then they have like the big hug, and then they walk back together at the end. I mean that that's uh, right. that's that's great stuff, man. Great stuff. Yeah, man. Hey, Dominic, uh, your hometown. Of... Oh, sorry, what's that? No, I was just say real quick, your hometown has a lot of history with the WWF and Intercontinental as well, and with the Boston brass knuckles. And also, Tito defeated Don Tito Mar- defeated Don Morocco for the Intercontinental title in Boston as well in '84. Oh, see, I didn't know that. I've, I've actually watched the Savage uh, Savage Tito match where he hits him with the brass knuckles, and I was just <laughs> watching another match in WCW where they stole the not stole, but it had the same finish. Uh, I forget who it was. I want to say it was Tully. It might have been Tully and Magnum used that almost the same exact finish, and I just watched it the other night, and I thought that was kind of funny too, but. Um, I have a, I have a question for you guys on the IC title. So Warrior taking it in WrestleMania five and running with it till WrestleMania six, right? Well, he takes obviously he takes a SummerSlam, takes a SummerSlam and then runs with it to uh, to WrestleMania six, right? Mm-hmm. With Hogan, does that hurt? Did that hurt the mid card guys at all? Like you have Tito and Mattel blowing off a big feud coming off of five, the big breakup. That belt could have been used there big time, I felt. And I understand Warrior kind of needed it with the Hogan thing, but did he really? Like, did that hurt? I don't know. I just felt like well, not having the IC title there running into WrestleMania 6 kind of hurt the mid-card guys a little bit. Yeah. and Matt, can, you can answer first. I have, an, I have my opinion on that. You go first. Yeah, I mean, I'll just try to make a quick take on that. So um, I think it's an interesting point because you had so many guys, I think, right there. And you bring up Martel. Um, as one, you know, I, I think you had some, some deserving guys there for sure. But I think, you know, Hogan, it, it's pretty well documented that pretty, from, pretty much from 88 on that Hogan was trying to get out of wrestling. You know, he, once he did no hold barred, I think, you know, he was, he he had preferred, Hollywood, right. you know, he wanted to go to Hollywood, but, you know, Vince was convincing him to stay there. And, and, and I think um, that, that warrior was definitely the, the handpicked to be the chosen one and you know after wrestlemania 5 and warrior getting screwed with with that finish with bobby heenan i think you had to run right. that back at SummerSlam, right to, to continue that feud and build that yep. and so warrior wins right. that yeah. back and then and then the at that baby. point they already know like okay mania is going to be warrior and hogan and it's going to be champion versus champion and that's going to be really that kind of that passing of the torch to kind of give hogan that break so I think, like, while to your to your right. question, while it may have, like, some other guys may have gotten slighted, I think it's it was all strictly business decisions at that point, you know. 
Yeah, I was gonna, I just, like to, just to just to go off what you said real quick. I, I agree with you said, Matt. I think it's also a situation where they booked themselves in a corner. I think that going into that SummerSlam, they thought Warrior would be, you know, if 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 it was at the time where Hogan was talking about leaving, that Warrior was going to be the next guy. Uh, let's get him up a level. Let's throw the IC belt on him and, and get him over more. And I think that his popularity just grew after he won that title and the way he won it to the point where they had to do that match and taking the title off a warrior between SummerSlam and WrestleMania wouldn't have made sense because you're building him up against Hogan at WrestleMania six. So I think they, they, they booked themselves into a corner where they had no other choice, but to do what they did. Uh, that's why you got the two baby faces in, in the one match, right. which was unheard of back then. But yeah, yeah. I, I think that uh, definitely a couple of guys could have, uh, could have definitely got the rub off of that title. 100%. Yeah, and and you see it too. Like you know, it's kind of like a mini. It was almost a mini uh, mega power storyline if you think about it, because you know you had obviously the Royal Rumble was where Hogan and in ninety right, were, Hogan, and they make that yeah. clash, and then you have the Saturday Night's main event shortly thereafter where Hogan and Warrior team against Perfect and Genius, and then you know at the melee at the I, end, well, Warrior clotheslines like Hogan, yeah. and then yeah. that kind of set the whole thing up right for WrestleMania. So you know they were definitely going to work towards that. Yeah. No, you're right. All right, you know, it's just something I never really heard talked about, so I figured, uh, figured I'd just bring it up over here. But you, man, Martel's cool. a great. I mean, Martel's one of those guys. I, I think, I think he's on like I put him like with Arn Anderson, like some of these guys that are unheralded for being like, like oh, super, like oh, right at the top of like you talk about great workers and just could kick ass. I mean, Martel is a guy that I would have loved to have seen have have a run with Martel. He was yeah, a model. He's a, he was he's a, a great guy. heel. He was a great heel. He's a name that comes up with me and my buddies all the time and say, how didn't he hold the IC title? It blows our minds. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree. I agree. Hey, man, thank you so much for calling, Dominic. We appreciate it, man. No problem. Absolutely, guys. I'll talk to you later. All right, man. Have yes, a good sir. one. Thanks, Dominic. Matt, we have, we have another uh, another call on the hold, on hold right now from California. Hey, Joe, welcome to 80s Wrestling Radio. What's going on, man? West Coast. Hey, how's it going? Hey, I was kind of wondering now, pretty good, pretty good. Thanks, thanks. I was going to ask you guys a question now. Did Greg the Hammer Valentine and Tito Santana ever have an Intercontinental Championship match when Tito Santana was? Oh, they had two. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Now, the reason why I'm asking is because I know he he kind of had like a – when I started watching, when I really, really got into WWF, I think it was like 1988 – so it was like the big boss man and the Hulk Hogan feud, yeah. you know? And so I kind of miss a little bit of Tito Santana's, um, you know, at the beginning of when he first started with WWF. So, but I, from what I've done researches on was that Tito Santana and uh, Craig the Hammer Valentine had a really crazy, oh, actually like okay. backstage feud. <laughs> I am you so know? happy you're bringing this question up. I am like thrilled because I was hoping that at some point here we were going to be able to talk about Greg Valentine and Tito Santana. Their Uh feud in the mid-80s in the WWF Uh was so different than everything else that was going on in the company at the time because you kind of had the whole rock and wrestling thing and Hulkamania and Vince was doing all the glitz and glamour and bringing in stars. Uh But but that feud between Tito and Valentine was so it kind of almost kind of had like that old NWA feel to it, like it was yeah, gritty. And it reminded and, uh, me, they would, sorry, they would just rem- bash each other. Yeah, 
Yeah, it kind of reminded me a lot of um. Sorry, Joe. I I was just gonna say like oh. they they would really I mean um and you could talk to them in, in interviews too. They would say I mean they they fought very stiff, very very stiff. And, yeah. Um and so here's a treat for you, man. Go look up. It's I want to say it's July sixth, nineteen eighty five. Valentine was the champion, and it was Don't against Tito, and it's in a steel cage in Baltimore, and it is a real physical match. In fact, I think Tito gets busted open in that match, and what's so, yes. what's so crucial about that match is that Tito wins in very epic fashion, right? Like at the end, he's climbing over the cage, and Valentine's trying to get out of the cage, and Tito kicks the door on him and then drops the – I mean, it's like really intense. And what was awesome is, out of frustration, and this was already pre-planned, Valentine destroys that. They had that old green strap, and Valentine bangs it against the cage and beats it up because um, a month later they came in and they introduced the new Intercontinental Belt, which is the one that we're all known that we all know, right? Like the famous uh, right. current look one. That they they did that because they wanted to make the that championship have a more modern look to it. So, um, so that match between uh, Valentine and Santana in mid '85 was so crucial because not only was it a great match and really just kind of ended an epic feud between those two, but it set the stage Gosh. for the the iconic IC belt uh, to be to be introduced about a month later. Yeah, you know, and it's so crazy like a lot of those guys from like the from like the mid 80s or 80s through like the late 90s, once it became like or or no, um 80s through um just like the late 80s and early 90s like once they came back like Ricky the Dragon Steamboat came back and um who was it? And of course like Tito Santana came back, Bob Backlund came back. They weren't like the same. You know what I mean? And I and I go backwards and I do researches on some of their matches from when they first started with WWF in the early um eight or eighties and man, dude, they were freaking crazy. Even even um Ronnie Garvin. Ronnie Garvin versus um Craig the Hammer Valentine. I thought that was an awesome freaking feud. The Royal Rumble. 1990. I thought that was rad. You know, I I loved, um, I loved Ravishing Recruit and Greg Valentine's matches. Man, I, I was always a fan of those. Uh, real quick, funny story, Matt. I don't know if you know this. I, I I told it earlier in one of the earlier episodes. I was at Madison Square Garden. I was sitting in the seventh row, and it was Ronnie Garvin and Greg Valentine. I actually caught Ronnie Garvin's towel at Madison Square Garden. Uh, <laughs> nice. That's rad. So. Uh, yeah, man. So I was always a fan. I was always I, I liked Ronnie Garvin in WWF. I know they didn't do much with him, but uh, I, his feud with Valentine. He made him like a good. referee. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think they made him I, into I, like um. Yeah. I agree with everything that Matt says. Matt, I'm at the point, dude, where I just don't even need to talk. Like you just like talk on the episode. I just I just stand mute because everything you say, everything you say, I agree with uh, wholeheartedly, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that was a great. Oh that was man, a great this has got to be a tag team, man. This has got to be a tag team, tag team event. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, uh, Joe, how'd you find out about the show? Um, actually through through Instagram because I we're kind of like followers, you know, so um we great, follow great. each other. So, um, I actually awesome. I'm pretty sure you know who I am. I talked to you. I'm the guy that runs like that lucha page, you know, at Tigre Dinamita. Are you L L L? What's your page? Yeah. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. That's me. You're LTJ? 
You know, yeah, Kendrick? yeah, that's me. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's me. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. This is oh, this Joe. This guy's yeah, man. He's awesome. I yeah, his page. Thanks. Okay, we got to give him a shout out, um, Tommy. I, I don't know if you if you follow him, but he has so his page. Um, I'll let I'll let him give like the 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 uh, uh, handle and all that in a second, but it's completely dedicated to it's kind of like what we do for for 80s wrestling but it's for lucha back in kind of the 70s and 80s and probably in the 90s like it's all like mm. that era and it's i mean he posts some epic clips and great pics of really some really old classic uh lucha legends man so um nice. yeah joe i think we got to let you plug your page real quick because anyone that's just a wrestling fan but like kind of has an appreciation for uh for mexican wrestling you should really follow Joe's page because it's he's got some really solid clips there. So Joe, do you want to do you want to tell us what your Instagram handle is real quick? Yeah, it's at Tigre Dinamita. Um, that's my Facebook, um, and uh, my name is actually Dynamite, uh, the Tiger Dynamite. So or Dynamite Tiger, sorry. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. So if you guys want to go ahead and follow my page, I would totally appreciate it. You know, and I totally appreciate you guys. You know, uh, definitely putting me on the spot. I totally appreciate it. Thanks so much. You guys are doing awesome work too, man. I'm like totally, I'm in love with your guys' page. So, you know, um, I love, I love a lot of that stuff that you guys post, you know, it's really cool, man. So you guys need to keep up the good work too. Cause that's, man, you guys have a lot of followers, you know, you guys really do. Awesome. Well, thanks Joe. Awesome, and again, you so like, you, you've got yeah. a, you've got a lot of good stuff and great content too, man. So thanks for calling in. I really appreciate it. Yes, yes, of course. Definitely keep in touch. You guys have a good night. Thank you. We'll do. You, you too, too, man. Bye-bye. There you go. Another uh, happy listener of 80s Wrestling Radio. Hey, real quickly, I want to I wanna throw in uh, a quick plug for the uh, con before uh, we start talking. And before I know it, the, the show's almost over. It happened last <laughs> week as well. A very interesting topic tonight. Uh, 80s Wrestling Con 2 takes place on Saturday, October the 26th. I play America in Freehold, New Jersey, featuring the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, with Virgil. Now is a good time to uh, segue into it that next week's episode here on 80s Wrestling Radio will be about the life and times of the Million Dollar Man in the WWF in the 1980s. I'll actually be on vacation next week, but uh, Matt will be joined by Jumpin' Jay making a return to 80s Wrestling Radio. As we, uh, as you know, a couple of weeks back, Jay had mentioned that he opened up his own business in Minnesota. It's doing really, really well, Matt. And uh, he's going to, I'm going to tag him in for next week. He's going to come back and join you. I love yeah. having Jay on the show, man. And uh, I'm not going to let him leave. I know you're not going to let him leave either. So uh, <laughs> he'll be back from time to time, absolutely, for sure. If he likes it or not, I'm telling him he has to. Uh, but uh, Jay will be joining you next week. And you guys will talk about the Million Dollar Man in the WWF, which should be really interesting. I'm looking forward to uh, listening to that. And uh, he'll be at 80s Wrestling Con along with Virgil and uh, Bob Backlund, Sarkin Slaughter, Demolition, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Jimmy Hart, uh, the Killer Bees, Mr. Wonderful Paul Ornorf, and many more. For more information on that, we'll be talking about it a lot more in the upcoming weeks. And also, Matt, we'll probably have some of those guys on the show interviewing them as it gets closer to 80s Wrestling Con too. Uh, for more information, you can go to 80swrestlingcon.com. That's 80swrestlingcon.com. And uh, let's talk a little bit more about the Intercontinental title now. 
we said Honky Tonk Man held it for the longest amount of days consecutively at 454. Uh, Pedro, you said, hold it the most amount of times, correct? He has the longest number of days as champion to this day still. And Jericho, what was it again? He, Pedro Morales only had two reigns, but it was for 619 days. And so the, the number of days as champion still holds true. Jericho has the most reigns at nine, but I think he's only held it for like 330, uh, 313 days. So he yeah. he lived obviously in the era of them basically winning it and then dropping it at a pay-per-view like right after and winning it. You know, he was uh, kind of all over the map. I should say, um, while we're here talking about all of this, Tommy, I'm watching. I've got, you know, Raw for me comes on here uh, on, on delay. And uh, I just saw Pat Patterson pin Drake Maverick to become the 24-7 <laughs> champion. So, uh, so Pat Patterson's legacy – uh, just his resume just got uh, just got added to tonight. Looks like. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Since I've already watched her on the East Coast, that that title changes hands about eight more times throughout the episode. Just so you oh. know. <laughs> well, all right. Well, we say, man, our man Pat Patterson, our inaugural IC champ, uh, won another title tonight. So who would who would have thought, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I was also going to say too. Only three other wrestlers held the title in their reign for over a year without dropping it. And it was Pedro, which you said. Don Morocco held it for over a year. And Macho Man Randy Savage held it for over a year as well. So um, only four guys in the history of WWF held that title for over a year. And that was Honky Tonk, Pedro, Morocco, and uh, Macho Man. Yeah. So I got a question for you based on that then. Do you think that back in the day, you think about those are all guys from the 80s era. Do you think that it's better for a champion to hold, like for that intercontinental belt? Does it bring more prestige or does it build a particular star or character if he can hold it for a year plus? Or do you think it's better to, you know, spread the love around as we started seeing like, you know, in the 90s, um, and obviously, I mean, now it's it's almost become, I think, you know, championships have, have become almost meaningless in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, but back then, do you think that having having the strap for over a year was a great thing? Or do you think maybe, you know, they could have they could have pushed a, a few more guys like we, we talked about a guy like, let's say, like a Rick Martel, you know, earlier or like a Jake the Snake Roberts you know, where there could have been a window. You know, another great one that, that I um, thought could have been a great feud was, you know, Randy Savage won it in February of 86. And this is something I posted on my Instagram page at Squared Circle Classics quite a, like a while ago. But um, a feud we never got but we could have, which would have been absolutely incredible, would have been Macho Man in 86 versus Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Because Orndorff was a face um, after, you know, WrestleMania won, he turned uh, face and then was face all the way until that summer 86 turn against Hogan. So Savage won the belt in February 86, and they decided for WrestleMania 2 for Savage to defend the IC belt against George the Animal Steel. And, you know, that was kind of its own kind of funny feud in itself. But if you think about where they could have went in terms of not only – 
a great storyline, but from wrestling perspective, I mean, you think about two volatile, intense personalities in Mr. Wonderful and Randy Savage, and the fact that those two could have potentially locked up in 86, and that could have been like a WrestleMania two match. I mean, so I guess back to my question would have been like, do you think like having those long year plus reigns was good? Or do you think we should have seen maybe something that could have been um, like six months or less where, you know, you push a guy, but it's also to help bring up another one or two guys that, that kind of were in that class and deserve to hold the belt. Well, I, I think that it was great that, I think it gave the title and the wrestler more credibility the longer they held it. So I, I like the way they did it in the eighties where, you know, we're both looking at our list. There's not a thousand guys on it. So I think it's a good thing. I, I do think that what you just said with Paul Orndorff and Savage, man, that would have been freaking phenomenal. And we talked earlier, you spoke about Rick Martell, you know, he never got a chance to hold it, which would have been great. But I actually liked the fact that the title didn't change hands very often. I think that it gave the wrestler more credibility and, more importantly, the title more credibility. And, you know, back then, you know, um, WWF was running shows every single night, seven days a week. So, you know, Hulk Hogan would be on the A card or Warrior when he was a champion. And the B card would be the main event, would usually be the Intercontinental title match. So, I mean, that, that match actually headlined a lot of uh, house shows. Uh, that title actually headlined tons of house shows in the 80s. Um, I'll tell you what, man, if you put a gun to my head right now, legit, and you said you have three seconds to name the current WWE Intercontinental Champion, dude, I'd be dead if you only gave me three seconds to answer that. The title changes so frequently now that it doesn't mean anything, and also you don't even know who the champion is because it doesn't even matter. Like, if, if me and you said that right now and said, all right, what was the Intercontinental title match from WrestleMania 2, WrestleMania 3, WrestleMania 4, WrestleMania 5? We'd be able to answer each other in a second. If you told me right now, hey, Tommy, what's the what was the Intercontinental title match at WrestleMania 31? I would, I would have no idea what the answer to that question was. It, it's so insignificant now. I mean, back then, it just meant so much more than what it means now. Yeah, I mean, I think that leads into like a bigger discussion of this, I think the overall philosophy of what they've done. It's it's I think they've tried to, you know, drill more into overall entertainment. And I think the problem too is like their rosters are just so big, um, and trying to build any to anything anymore is so hard because there's just too many. There's just it's even split between three um, companies. I mean, it's there's just too many guys and. You know, back back in our day, I mean, it was it was way more simple where you had one promotion and you had your pecking order. And so, if you were a champion back then, it meant something because there was less talent in which that was really going to be challenging for it. Whereas, like now, I mean, hell, they've got three promotions under the WWE umbrella, and and I mean, I don't even know how many championships among those three promotions. Um, you know, and then they introduced this twenty four seven one, which I get, and I think it's kind of like, I mean, the whole idea of them bringing it in was, was, for, a, was for a gimmick, you know, it was for, it for, for basically like comedic vignettes, and I think it's great. But every, like right now, I'm watching Jerry Briscoe. I think he just beat Pat Patterson for the belt, and he's about to get beat again, it looks like. But, you know, I, I, there's a great comedy factor to that, but every time I see a belt being flung around and hoisted and all this, um, you know, it, it, it's just, 
in some ways, I think this is a double-edged sword, which, which what they're doing with the 24-7 championship is that, you know, they're, they're cheapening what it means to be a champion. They're, they're, they're putting the comedic segment value over what it means to be a champion. I think, like, that's where, to me, it's getting a little bit lost, and that's why, to me, the Intercontinental belt was just such a prestigious thing when we were growing up as kids in, in the 80s and even in the 90s. That belt meant a lot. If, and when you're a wrestling fan, like if you knew the IC, uh, if there was an IC championship match going on, like that was a huge deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we're talking about missed opportunities. The Orndorff one was a hugely missed opportunity. Jake Roberts, the fact that he never held a title in the WWF was a huge, huge, huge missed opportunity. We even talked about Brutus Beefcake being a, a missed opportunity. How cool would it have been uh, for, let's say, someone like, I'm just, thinking who was on the roster at that time in the late 80s or mid-80s, someone like Dusty Rhodes being the WWF Intercontinental Champion or someone like Butch Reed, uh, who was a good heel all the time, or like, uh, you know, Hercules, for that matter. Jim Duggan never had that shot title. So, I mean, there's a lot of names out there Bam, that were Bam, on the Bigelow. roster. Yeah, I mean, Bigelow, yeah, yeah, I'm going and big, Some of the big monster guys, you know, like, yeah. None of, and, you know, you think like the, maybe they'd say, oh, okay, a monster doesn't need it because he's just he, that, him being huge is the attraction. But, you know, I, I think that would have been if you were a heel, a monster heel, like a like a one man gang or a big boss man or a King Kong Bundy. I mean, to me, you put a strap on on one of those guys. It then even elevates him even more. It's like, oh, my God, who's going to be the one to beat him? Because it's not going to be Hogan. Hogan's already a champion. So who is going to be the giant player? And to me, that's what would elevate the next level of talent. Um, if, you I know, agree. You could have done it. But, but it was so hard. I mean, I, I can't look back on – other than Honky Tonk Man, I, I, now I, I truly feel that the Honky Tonk Man held that belt for way longer than he should have. You know, there were guys – I mean – Jake could have easily had like you could have cut Honky's reign in half because Jake was one of those guys you know and they fought at WrestleMania three so you know and and Steamboat wins it at WrestleMania three and he drops it like two three months later to Honky Tonk Man so Jake's still kind of in that that phase of like being and, and he was always a guy that could be a face or heel people I think people just li- liked him overall he was kind of like one of those stone cold anti hero characters that you know you could have cut. Honky's reign in half. You could have let Jake have a shot at that, and Jake then could have turned heel, and you could have put him right back in a program with, say, Warrior again. Like, you know, so you know, Warrior could have Warrior could have took it a could have taken a dub, or a, a DDT. No one gets up from a DDT, and he could have been the first guy to come up from it because you know he was famous for no selling finishing moves. So, you know, like there, there there's a lot of ways they could have gone with it, but I feel like that year of Honky Tonk Man having it from you know, summer of 87 all the way to summer of 88, you could have, you could have done some things there with a number of guys that, uh, that, that could have stepped in and, uh, and done some, but, but again, I mean, that, that's the only area I think where it could have maybe been booked differently. Cause I, I agree with where with all their kind of all their other choices. And I think, I think steamboat, the steamboat honky thing was more, you know, from, from everything I've, I've ever heard. And, you know, you've met him, so maybe, you know, you, you've heard it from the horse's mouth, but it sounded like he had some pressure at home. Like they were, uh, his wife was pregnant and it sounded as if like his wife wanted him to kind of take a break and get off the road for a while while they were having their baby. And so that was like the driving factor for him asking for time off and dropping the belt to honky. 
Um, but, you know, Steamboat, it's tough. Great match at WrestleMania three. Um, and Steamboat's, again, one of those other guys who's, like, one of my all-time faves. I mean, my, he was my number two babyface to root for in the 80s behind Hogan. Um, and I loved his flair trilogy in, 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 the, in World Championship Wrestling. But, you know, in the WWF, him with the title, like, just, I don't know. Like, it, it, it was great that he won it, but I'm also kind of glad that he didn't hang on to it for a long time because I did think at that time, with Hogan being your top guy, that having a heel – be the the number two and in the intercontinental champion was probably the way to to way to, to the way to book that. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with what you said definitely. Um, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up, but real quickly, we'll give both our uh, answers on this. Just just answer who who's your favorite. You don't have to get into who or why. We we already talked about it throughout the entire episode. So, Matt, I'll start with you. Who is your favorite WWF intercontinental champion from the 1980s? Macho Man. I have to say the same. <laughs> Macho Man Randy yeah. Savage was mine as well. Yeah. Definitely. To me, he's the one. Yeah. He's the one that really, you know, I I look back and I think more when I think of of, of Randy Savage. I think his peak year, his, his peak part of his career was when he held that belt. I mean, it was fine when he was was the um, the WWF champion, but they had Hogan glued to his hip because. They had to have the quote-unquote Hulk dust to keep, you know, that whole thing going and build that, that mega power storyline. Um, so, to me, that kind of diluted Savage's reign as the as the champion. But he, as a heel, as the Intercontinental Champion, like, it was gold. You know, he just, every, his promos, I mean, that that's his best promos. That's just everything about him at that time in 86 to 87 was just absolute peak savage. And, and for me, like if I pick one guy that defines that championship in its entirety, it's, it's savage in, in 86. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Interesting topic tonight. And uh, again, next week, uh, the topic's going to be the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase in the WWF in the 1980s. Uh, I will not be on next week. I'll be on the kitchen with my family, but Jump and Jay will be teaming up with Matt to talk about that. And we'll be posting a bunch of stuff on our, uh, our pages. Uh, in the meantime, uh, again, at the 80s wrestling on uh, Instagram and Matt is at squared under circle classics underscore. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Squared underscore circle underscore classics underscore, correct? Yeah, you could probably just type in squared circle classics and it would pop up. Excellent page. Excellent page. I, I enjoy one of my favorite Instagram pages. Go to, he, he posts some really cool stuff. So be sure to check that out. And then uh, until next week, everyone, have a great week. And we will talk to you next week right here on 80s Wrestling Radio. Have a good week, guys.